Um, we're going to talk today about uh, something, Bible characters. I, sometimes once in a while I stop and say there's some Bible characters that we need to know. And the first one is, the, today this one is Barnabas. Um, I, he's called the son of encouragement. And we're going to look at some scriptures and we're going to look at the life of this man as, we've, as we see it in scripture. So we'll just highlight certain things and then kind of take it from there and, and, and make some applications. But there are people... And hopefully for all of you, if, if we said, is there someone who's been in your life who is an encourager? Hopefully uh, someone comes to mind. I know for me, when I first became a Christian, a, a gentleman uh, started spending time with me. I thought we were good friends and we were just hanging out. Turns out he was discipling me and he had a plan for that. Kind of sneaky, I think. But he poured his life into me for, for, for two years. And, and I saw him do everything. We, we, we both love sports, so we played sports together. Uh, we both love hockey. We played hockey together. Um, um, he took me home to his, have dinner at times uh, with his wife, and we went and did things together, just all kinds of things. But in that time, too, sometimes we read together, sometimes we looked at some biblical passages together, and he just wove whole life discipleship into that time. And he was an incredible encourager. Um, I think much of what God has done in my life in the last 30 years was based on those foundational principles that that man showed me and the foundational principle of love. And, and I knew he loved me, and also he wasn't afraid to confront me. Um, um, I, we both played sports, and I was not a good loser. And uh, a number of different times he confronted me about anger issues and about the way I... I uh, how I behaved in, in losing situations, and it helped me tremendously. So there's encouragers. Now, what we're going to find is also in our lives, sometimes there's grumblers. There's people who are negative. Uh, one guy I was reading said, a grumbler is a person who's writing an endless autobiography. Why? Because when people grumble, it's all about themselves. It always circles all the way back to them. And, and you'll have sometimes people like that in your life. They're their joy challenge, their dream squashing, they fault find. They're like slow leaks in the hot air balloon of your life, and they just drain you. And, and we're to love them. But we're also, Scripture tells us, to guard our hearts, and, and because everyone has the potential of being a negative influence on other people. So we need encouragers. Um, and we think encouragement is like a verbal thing, but actually it's, it's, it's actions. It's combined with speaking, but it's... Uh, it's an action word, and we, the word encourage in, in the Greek is, is, uh, is parakleos, which is word, the word paraclete, the, the Holy Spirit who's called alongside. That's that word for the Holy Spirit. One who's called alongside to comfort or to encourage. And we need people in our lives where we can say, that person is on my side. He or she is for me, not against me. And the patron saint of encouragers we're going to look at today is Barnabas. And so the first time we meet him in Scripture, and we're going to jump around, but here we are, we're in Acts chapter 4, verses 36 to 37. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So we have a lot here that we're informed of that helps us historically to understand this man, what's the context, what's a little bit about his life. He's a Levite. Now, Levites were the assistants to the priests, right? But 
He's from Cyprus, so he didn't get to assist the priest very often, if at all. He was born overseas, so probably he didn't speak Aramaic. He didn't speak uh, even necessarily, many times they didn't even speak Hebrew. Or if they did, it was with a funny accent, right? Sometimes you meet somebody from a culture where uh, they speak English totally, you know, they learned it weird and they speak it totally different than we do, like somebody from England, right? So somebody... No, no, okay. Hmm. So, I've been away for two weeks, so it's a little rusty. Hang with me there, okay? A little rusty. But he spoke with an accent that gave him away. He's not like us when he was in Israel. He would have been called a Hellenist, which is uh, an idea of where he's from, but also an idea of kind of what he's about. He was, he was, uh, Hellenists were often discriminated against. We see that in Acts chapter 6. He had foreign ways that would have been different from what people... And he could have been, because of all of that, he could have been a negative person. right? I don't know if you've ever been somewhere where you're the one who talks differently from everyone else, but you get all kinds of attention, and it's not always nice. Sometimes people laugh at you. Sometimes people just stare at you. And so he could have been a negative person, but God works in his life. And here we see in this passage, he says, I see a need. And I have the answer to that need. And notice it says he puts it at the apostles' feet. That's this idea that there's no strings attached. He's saying to the apostles, just bless people with this. Just bless people with this. And and this is not to try to uh, bring out some idea about giving, but sometimes we have people who will give to this church. They say, just put it where the need is. Just put it to the greatest need. And I'm not going to say specifically what I want it to go to, I just want it to go towards needs. And this is what he's saying there. I don't even care how it's used. You guys take care of that. And so we see, first of all, encouragement here. It can be financial. It's this idea that encouragers sacrifice to be an encourager. Years ago, um, my wife and I, when we were much younger and we had little kids, and, uh, and so things were tight a lot of times. I mean, a lot of us know how that is. And one day, we'd, I'd saved up, and I said, we're, we're going to go out to eat. I, I've saved up some money for a babysitter, and, and we're going to go uh, out to eat and just have a good time together. And so we went, and we went to the restaurant, you know, and I'm mentally, you know, I don't know if you do this, but I'm looking at and I'm mentally thinking, okay, there's the cost of the meal, cost of tax, and then tip, okay? I used to work for tips, so I, I tips are important. And uh, so I remember at that meal telling my wife, we're not getting dessert, we're just we're just going to get the meal. We we just we don't we can't afford it right now, right? And uh, and so we were having a good time with the meal, and then the waitress came over, and I said, you know, when you're ready to bring us the check, I'm ready for the check. And she said, your check has been paid for. Someone here paid for your check. So I'm quickly looking around. Who do I know here? So my first thought is, oh, I wish I'd ordered dessert, you know. Um, <laughs> but my second thought, my second thought was, I'm so grateful that someone cared enough for us to do that and walk out before we could even tell them thank you, to give when there's nothing in it for them. That was a tremendous encouragement. I will never forget that. I will never forget that. Sometimes now when we go out to eat, I just glance around and I'm thinking, who can I bless right now? Who's here that I can be a blessing to? And I try to act on it when I can. 
And some of you here, some of you at home, you know this joy. You know the joy, the, simp- the joy of simply giving, of giving and saying, I take my hands off. I don't want anything. I don't want to be recognized. I don't want to be known. I don't want anyone to say thank you. I want to do this totally, totally for this person and let them have the joy of something that came out of the blue. And, and I think that can be a powerful thing in our lives. And this is what's going on with Barnabas. And there are people, you know, we, we, we look right now, I, I kind of know what's going on right now in the, in the midst of all these things going on with a lot of churches. And there's a lot, of, a lot of churches that are struggling tremendously. Struggling tremendously. And we're so fortunate. This church, there are people who love this church, who give sacrificially, and we are not, we're not struggling in that way. And I'm telling you that when you're able to do that, you have put yourself in touch with a spiritual power that is hard to describe. There's an odd thing that results when it comes to giving. It puts us in touch with the deeper realities of the kingdom, deeper than money. And money is like the thing that kind of grips us all and is at the forefront of our thoughts. And when we get in touch with this, it suddenly money becomes less important. And people who give even though they end up, because they're giving, they have less money, they tend to worry less about money than people who never give. And you put yourself in the flow of a reality that is bigger than you. I, 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 can't, I can't stress that enough. And Joseph, this man named Joseph does this. It's a spirit that he gave with. And that spirit is infectious. And some of you have experienced that in your lives. And the disciples basically are saying, Joseph's not an adequate name for this guy. we got to start calling him Barnabas because it means the encourager, the one who encourages others, son of encouragement. He encourages the community, and the community encourages him. And that's how when you become a person who is an encourager, it, doesn't, it spirals up. It gets better and better. It feeds on itself and becomes greater and greater. And that's how it works. That's how encouragement works. That's how giving works. And so we don't see him again until Acts chapter 9. And here we see, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So now we see Saul, this Pharisee, this, this uh, very righteous man in a sense, he, he is going all out, he, he believes, for God. And he's persecuting Christians. And on the way to Damascus, so he's, he's, not, he's not content with just persecuting Christians in Jerusalem. He wants to go into Damascus, into Syria. He says, we, we need to expand this persecution. We're doing God's work. And on the way, he meets Jesus. And the locals there in Damascus help him, but, he, but when he tries to go to Jerusalem, they're a little bit leery. Look at this. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Doesn't that make sense? You know, the greatest enemy of the church in that day one day shows up and says, you won't believe this. I change sides. I'm a Christian. Will you guys welcome me back? Will you welcome me in? And think about that. You know, this is that thing I talk about sometimes where we try to place ourselves in the situation that the Bible is talking about. Think about the Christians in Jerusalem. They're looking around. They hear Saul wants to join us. He wants to worship with us, right? 
And somebody looks over and goes, my wife is in prison because of Saul. Somebody else says, my, my son's in prison because of Saul. Somebody else says, a mob killed my husband, and Saul was a part of that mob. And now he wants to join us? In the famous words of a theologian in Star Wars, it's a trap, right? It's a trap. They're sure of this. And you can imagine how they feel. We're supposed to love this guy? And so what do they do? They try to figure out who's going to be the person to actually go meet him in person and check him out. Who's willing to do that? Who's there? Everybody else who goes and meets him ends up in prison. When I, uh, I used to live in, in Northern Virginia, shout out to my Nova people. I used to live in Northern Virginia, and it, this was so long ago, I, I used to race motorcycles. And so one place that we'd practice is, is we used to practice motocross at Tyson Square because there was nothing there back then. And they were starting to build, to starting to, to make the land to build the mall and all these other things. And there was one point where they had to fill in dirt and a giant edge. And so this dirt went all the way up and then it just dropped off very steeply. And uh, so we were having fun climbing this 40 foot hill, you know, and all of a sudden one of us said, could we jump off the hill? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. And my friend Kurt's like, that looks crazy. And I'm like, let's ask Craig, he'll do it. So we got this friend, Craig, who's a really good writer, but he didn't have a lot of common sense. And we said, Craig, we're thinking, we're thinking that maybe we could just launch off. We'd land partway down because it's a downslope. You just boom, and then just ride it out. That's doable. You think you could try? Sure. <laughs> You're right. And so Craig, you know, rides and he lands partway down and it's kind of sketchy and he slides down and gets to the bottom. He goes, easy. Right. And so then we're like, OK, if Craig can do it, I guess we can do it. You know, it's like that old Mikey commercial. Get Mikey to taste it. See if he can do it. Well, right now, what's going on? They're like, who's going to go see Paul? Hey, Barnabas. Can you go talk to him? They figured, can you go talk to him? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the brought him to the disciples. He was willing to take a risk on Saul. Not only that, he becomes his friend, and he gets to know him. Encouragers have an inclination to believe the best in people or to see the best and call it out. He goes to his brothers and his sisters, and he says, look, we all know about Saul, but his life has changed. Look what happened. He's devoting himself to the Word and to the Gospel. We can trust him. And so he brought him to them, and they embraced him. Think about this. What if he'd not been willing to take that chance? Maybe God is pushing you to take a chance with somebody, to be an encourager, to see something in them and call it out, coax it out, to work with someone that you would not feel normally inclined to work with, to deal with. And encouragers are peacemakers. Encouragers bring peace where there's conflict. And that's what Barnabas does. Next big time in the life of the church, Acts chapter 11. 
Now, what's going on here is, uh, is uh, this is a huge point in, in the history of the church. Up until now, it's only been people talking to, to, to Jews, kind of keeping it within the tribe type of thing. And some daring soul says, look, if it's good for Israel, it's good for the Gentiles. And some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch, which is a Gentile city, and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This is a dramatic moment, because here's what's going on. For a Jewish person, what they have to realize is, look, we got these people. They don't know Torah. They don't know the law. They've never been circumcised. They don't keep our traditions. They don't know anything. So let's try this experiment. Let's just see. We'll go tell them about Jesus and see if it resonates at all. And it does resonate. It explodes. These Gentiles who don't know Torah, who don't know Israel, they respond and they enter into this community of people who are following Jesus, people of the way. And the first major city out of Israel, the movement takes place. And Antioch becomes a place that it explodes from. Let me show you a little map here, because I, I always like to... It, this is the map of the Mediterranean. At the far right is Israel. You might see the Jerusalem there. And then this is uh, up at the top where the t green lines kind of come to is, is Antioch. That's where the first trip that Paul took as a, as a missionary started. He then went out to the island, then he went up into what would now be Turkey, Asia Minor. All right? And so we have these... These, uh, we have these people, they're becoming, coming to know, the, know Jesus in Antioch. It's exploding there. And suddenly change is thrust upon the church. The church has to change. Now the church, the history of the Christian church has not always been real great about change. Um, I, I uh, ministered at a church, worked at a church um, that was a very conservative Baptist church for quite a few years. And a guy told me one time, how many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? And I said, no, I don't know how many. He said, change. Who said anything about change? And, and that was kind of the motto of it. It's just, just the church doesn't at times like to change. And so this is a huge change. They're breaking outside of their barriers. They're breaking outside of their, of their comfort. And they're bringing in these Greeks, these Gentiles, and in Antioch, the Jesus movement is spreading. I remember I was reading uh, historically, um, been reading some on, on some of the historical aspects of things that happened in the 60s and, uh, and into the 70s. And I was reading one guy, and he was talking about how he, he grew up in this church, and then he moved out to the West Coast, and he started meeting these, this, this group called Jesus People. And, and it was people who had been, uh, they'd done things like communes and then realized in communes, it, people are still ugly to each other. And they tried all these different things and suddenly they started trying Jesus and they, were, and they were coming to the Lord in droves and churches were exploding that were trying to minister to them. And he kept saying, they're not like us. They're different. And it's because we struggle sometimes with change. And religious communities are not always welcoming to change. And so what's happening? They see what's going on in Antioch, and they say, well, let's send Barnabas there and see what happened. And so the news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, what was going on in Antioch. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. He saw this change, and he said, this is of God. 
our culture right now is going through tremendous changes with everything that's going on and things are being pulled and things are being disrupted. I want you to see God is doing something. God is working. We, it's not all doom and gloom. I, I, I was reading a guy the other day and he said, some of these things could be the death of the church. And I was like, what are you talking about? The church, God is going to grow his church. It's not going to be the death of the church. He's going to grow his church through all of this. We are in a point in history where God is doing some incredible things. And we can sit back and go, oh, this is terrible. Or we can go, okay, God, you're working. I want to be a part of it. Show me how. We can take one of two, two directions on this. And what happened here? The disciples suddenly said, you know what? God is expanding the church. He's growing his kingdom. Send Barnabas. Barnabas, check it out. Let us know what's going on. How can we help? And so he realizes this church is, is growing by leaps and bounds. I need help with it. I need someone who knows the Scripture. I need someone who can speak to the Gentiles. I need someone who has courage, someone who has energy, someone with a formidable mind. And he goes, how about Saul? Which when you think about it, wait, no, not a good idea. But he does. And the church in Antioch sends them on the first missionary journey, the journey you see right there up on the screen. And they head up, head up, in, and, and just because I think this is cool, here's one of the roads we know they traveled. That is a Roman road. The Romans paved huge amounts of the known world at that time, and that road is still around and still being used. From, it, was, it was built around A.D. 20. Um, one time on one of my trips to Europe, I had the privilege of walking on a Roman road, and right next to it was a Roman wall, and right over there was a Roman aqueduct that in 1981 was still being used to carry water from a spring to a, to a city. The Romans built this stuff, and the gospel exploded, partly because the ease of travel was the greatest that it had ever been. And so they go there, and they go to up into Asia Minor, and one of the little towns there you'll see is Iconium, and that's one of the places they went. But this, this is just to me is an interesting thing. In, in ancient writings, when they list names, the first name is always the most important name. Uh, it's just a typical of how they write. So in Acts 11.30, it talks about Barnabas and Saul. In Acts 13.2, it talks about Barnabas and Saul. Now, here's Acts 14.1 as they head into Iconium. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. What's going on here? Paul is increasing. He's ascending. He's maturing. His gifts are shining. And the names are switched. And from a human standpoint, this is terrible. Barnabas has done a bad job of career management, right? He hasn't positioned himself properly. His missions have been a great success, and someone else is getting credit for it. And he could have been jealous, but he's not. He rejoices in it. This is what encouragers do. He's a true encourager. Jesus said this. He said it's going to be that way. This is the kingdom. It's real. And the kingdom is the last really become the first. And the people who are servants really become the greatest. 
and I will use them. And that's what greatness ultimately is. That's where true joy is ultimately found. It's not in clawing your way to the top in fame and recognition and money. It's becoming a servant and helping others flourish and taking great joy in it. Because Barnabas is a kingdom guy. He's an encourager. Up there is coming down here through him. Encouragers, that's the way they think. That's the way they act. Because encouragers, they're peacemakers. And they put others first. And Paul and Barnabas would often travel with other people to make their to, to train them in the ministry, to be able to reach more people. And so one of those people was a young man named John Mark, or often just Mark. And we see a brief glimpse of him in the Gospel of Mark, which he most likely wrote. And there's a story of a young man who at the key point before Jesus is crucified becomes afraid and runs away and deserts Jesus. He runs and leaves his cloak behind. They tried to grab him. That's probably Mark. So Mark comes back to the faith. He travels with Paul and Barnabas to help them for a while. And then we have something interesting that happened at Paphos. Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia. It's all peas there. I don't know what the deal is with that area. When John left them to return to Jerusalem, that's John Mark. He left them. Now, we don't know exactly what happened, but we do know that a very strong word is used by Paul. Look at this. Someday, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And that word is a strong word for leaving someone in the lurch, for leaving a job undone, for leaving someone and, and, and putting your responsibility on them and, and causing them uh, pain, causing them uh, problems, frustration. So Paul says, look, oh, yeah, make sure. Nope, that's not the one I want, sorry. So Paul says, to, Paul says to Barnabas, no, I don't want to take him. He deserted us. He's a loser. He's a two-time loser, right? I think about how this would go. You know, sometimes I try to imagine conversations. And Paul says, you know, Paul says to Barnabas, look, Barnabas, he ran when things got tough. I need people I can count on. <clears throat> Barnabas says, give him another chance. I think he's learned his lesson. And Paul says, too dangerous, too, da too impatient he is, much anger, just like his father. No, Paul didn't say that. That's Yoda. Um, but Paul said, Paul said, no, he's, he's deserted us. He's done it twice. Sometimes you just got to cut your losses and move on. And Barnabas is like, you're so hard-headed. And Paul's like, your mom is hard-headed. And that's how that starts. And so I can imagine uh, um, Barnabas just saying, look, 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 Paul, listen to me. You know, in Jerusalem, when no one would touch you with a 10-foot pole, who's the one who came and gave you a chance? Me. And now you're telling me you're not going to give a chance to this kid? And Paul says, no, I'm not going to give him. It says the agreement, disagreement was sharp. It was a strong disagreement. And the Bible doesn't tell us who's right or wrong here in the sense of at this time. But look what Paul says later in his life. Many years later, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Paul went on, and we have the rest of the book of Acts about his travels and about Paul. Barnabas took John Mark, and he went, and we know nothing about it. We only know this, that Barnabas reached out to John Mark and gave him another chance, and he rose to the occasion, 
And Paul later says, I need that guy. And he writes the book of Mark. And so we see what this is so typical. This is so typical of Barnabas. He takes, he gets no credit. I mean, he gets, he gets no publicity for this. He just does it on the down low. Paul is a rock star. We all know Paul. He wrote epistles. He did all this stuff. But Barnabas brought Mark around. He was involved in doing that. Why? Because encouragers are restorers. They restore relationships. Um, I've kind of I mentioned before uh, in, when I was in college, I was so immature. I was I was pretty. I wouldn't have liked me at all when I was in college, and um, and it's it's fine. I mean that's the way I was, and God was starting to work in my life. Um, but I, I played sports in college, and and our college one time had this this team. They wanted they were getting together a team to go to summer camps. And it was partly to, you know, to get people to think about coming to the college, but also uh, we would we would do, uh, you know, work with skills, and then we'd play games against the campers and against the counselors of the camp. And uh, so they picked people from each all the different sports that we had, so that you know we'd all work together as this team on things, and then give individual instructions in the area of our somewhat expertise. And um, and. And I was, uh, somebody suggested me to be on this team. And then it turned out that a number of the professors at this college, because um, they got to have some input, because they see the students a lot, went to the dean of men, and they said, not Bob Mosley. All the other ones are good. This guy is, he's, he's, he's not mature enough. He's not ready for this. He would not be a good example of what our college produces. Um, and so this guy, his name was Bob Evans. He called me in and he said, I'm just going to be honest with you. There's three uh, professors that say you, you shouldn't be able to go and it only takes one to get you off the team. And I was just like, eh, stupid professors. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to him. Everyone owes me a favor. And I'm going to ask for it. I want you to be on this team. It's a powerful thing when there's someone who says, I'm for you, not against you. I'm on your side. I mean, I remember, I remember the office. I remember his bookshelves. I remember the couple of the paintings he had. I remember that moment because someone said, I'm for you. I'm not against you. And I know through, and it's mostly my fault, I knew there were people who were against me. I knew there were people who thought I wouldn't do well. I knew there were people who thought I, I, wasn't, I wasn't mature enough and I, I wasn't whatever, smart enough or whatever. They just said, they just, this kid's gonna, not good. And, and they were right, but they were wrong. And Bob Evans said, no. A week later, he called me in my office and he said, you're on it. You're going to go on this team. You're gonna, you're gonna do this, um, and I just this is great. We're gonna pay you, pay you to play sports over the summer. And I was just like, awesome, this is great. And I, to this day, I saw Bob Evans four years ago, and I, I reminded him of that moment, and he says, oh, I remember that moment, because I had to get ugly with one of your professors, 
and threaten him with some things before he'd say, okay, Bob Mosley can go. And I was just like, man, dude. And I can imagine this going on with Paul, with Barnabas, with John Mark. And it happens in other people's lives. It happens when we decide, not just with words, we decide to be people who bring out the best in other people. And the question is, will you do it? The question is, will you come alongside someone? When you see someone who needs it, when you're tempted to write someone off, will you come alongside and see if you can bring out the best? It doesn't always work. When you become an encourager, a peacemaker, a relationship restorer, you take a chance. You may, you may get dumped on. You may be made fun of. You, it, may ne- it, might, it may not work out. And we don't know. There may have been times with Barnabas it didn't work out. But we know two times with Paul and with John Mark when it did work out, and the world has never been the same because of this. God's calling on you to be involved with changing the world for his kingdom, one person at a time. He may call you to do giant things, maybe, I don't know, but he's calling us, basically, one person at a time. Get involved in people's lives. Um, I was gone. I appreciate, I appreciate this church so much for giving me the time off. I was gone. I, I was gone. I, I preached my mom's funeral and, uh, and helped get affairs together at her house. And so I've been thinking about funerals, you know, because that was on my mind for a while. And, and I was thinking about Barnabas' funeral. And I can imagine someone gets up to speak at his funeral, say, I want to give a testimony. And it's Apostle Paul. And everybody goes, it's Paul. He's famous. And he would say, you know, I persecuted the church. I put the followers of Jesus in prison. Nobody trusted me. No one would touch me. And then Bar- Barnabas came as came along and he put his arm around me and he said, I'll vouch for him. I stand before you today because of this man, Barnabas. What an incredible testimony. And John Mark gets up and people nudge him and go, that's John Mark. He wrote the gospel of Mark. Big smoke, right? He's famous. And he says, the truth about me is I was a quitter. I ran away from Jesus. I ran away from ministry. But Barnabas wouldn't give up on me. He saw something in me. I don't know why or what, but he took me under his wing and he said, I'll vouch for him. And I stand before you today because of this man, Barnabas. And a Greek guy from Antioch gets up and says, you know, I was a pagan. I was so far from God. I was so lost. Then I heard about Jesus and I wanted in. But I didn't know Torah. I, didn't, I could never be Jewish. I didn't fit. And Barnabas came along and said that Jesus came for guys like me. And he put his arm around me and he said, I'll vouch for him. And I'm here today because of this man, Barnabas. Then an old widow stands up and everybody nudges each other and says, I don't know who she is. She's not famous. She says, you know, I lost everything when my husband died. I had young children. I had no income. I didn't know if I'd make it. And then Barnabas came along and he quietly sold some of his own property so that I could have something to live on, so that I could feed my children. And I'm here today because of this man Barnabas. That's a kingdom funeral. That's a funeral. Those kind of funerals are the funerals I want to be at. It's a funeral of a man who never wanted to be great. He just wanted to call out greatness in others. But the spread of the gospel from one ethnic group to another and, and, and how it has worked in these centuries to the whole world, to you and me, the writings of Paul, the writings of Mark, about half 
the writings of the New Testament happened, happened or were influenced because one man stood and said, I'll vouch for that guy. I'll work for that person. And in the kingdom, this is what greatness looks like. It's something God does to you when you're looking the other way, when you're just trying to serve and just trying to love others. That's what God is calling us to. That's the kind of greatness that we can be when we are peacemakers and encouragers and we put others first and we restore relationships because that's what Barnabas did. And he, God calls us to be like Barnabas. Just love others. Just serve others. So, next week, I want to talk about this in a little more of a practical way. I don't know if you guys noticed it, but we're in the middle of a very conscious contentious political season. There's a lot of ugliness. There's a lot of mean-spiritedness. And it is hard when we as Christians decide we're taking a stand one way or another to love people who say they're Christians who take opposite stands or a stands that we might not quite understand or agree with. So next week, I want to talk about, practically speaking, how can we be encouragers in today's political atmosphere? Practically speaking, how can we do that? And we'll explore some ideas and some thoughts. Now, I want to reassure you, I am not going to take a political stand on anything. I'm going to talk about how we show that we're Christians in the middle of all these political stands that people are taking. And I'm kind of kind of come off of what we said earlier, this ability for us to stand outside of things as Christians and see that God is doing something far greater than what our immediate circumstances may point to. So we're going to talk about that next week and, and delve into that scripturally, how we do that. So let's, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this man Barnabas. People's lives were changed for eternity because one man decided to encourage, help us as men, as women who follow after you to take the same stand to be willing to call out the best in others. And as we do that, Lord, your kingdom grows, and it grows exponentially. And Lord, we know also that in doing that, as we sacrifice to be an encourager, as we bring peace in being an encourager, as we put others first in our encouraging, and as we restore relationships in our encouraging, that when we do that, it's not about us, and it's all about you. And yet that's where the greatest joy and meaning in life is. And so, Father, help us to seek that, to pursue that with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen.